But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat now. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> There's a list. Kitty Hawk Flyer. How did that happen? What is this? I see a woman talking on a phone. I don't know what you're talking about. Like introducing the Kitty Hawk Flyer. And... Oh, yeah, right. That's their video. I'm, I, I can't imagine you haven't seen this thing, a picture of it. It's been all over the place. Um, ah, yeah, I think I have seen They're calling that. it, what's his name? The, is it Larry Page, the Google guy? They're uh-huh. calling it his entry into the flying car thing, which is like, which I don't uh, understand. But anyways. Well... I don't know. Right, in, in, from looking at it from here, the, the uh, pilot's got a little bit more than I do, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't know, you know, what's intended. I, I, but, um, yeah, okay. All right, anything else before we start here? It's like a, it's like a jet ski with the, the added third dimension that you really don't need. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a jet ski <laughs> with the genuine chance of dying I guess is what it is <laughs> yeah they never uh, they never show it getting very high so I don't, I don't know what well it, it's, it's not going to get very high <laughs> well I mean it could I, I, I was um, looking at it closely trying to decide well, if it was getting out of ground effect and I think just, it is just Jack Jack just yeah. remember what comes up must come down I know and, and, and the higher you go uh, the longer you'll have the scream yeah and you'll notice, by the way, they never flew this thing over anything but water. But uh, you have learned that too. Anyway, that's, I can't that's decide if we've started yet. I I don't know if we have. I'm going to click pause on that. It, that was just an amazing video for something. But all right, never mind. <laughs> David, do you know what we're talking about here? I wasn't quite following, no. This, uh, this, uh, um, Kitty Hawk flyer thing, this, uh, personal, uh, uh, quadcopter thing that you ride on sort of like a motorcycle jet ski. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Thing, right? You know, and, uh, and, uh, Jeb was saying he won't ride it and, and. I, I, no, 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 no. I didn't say that. Did I say that? I thought that's what you said. I didn't hear you say that. Okay. I said it. it uh, I don't know. Yeah, what you I made said. it. You made a crude reference to the to the uh, the courage, qualities of the person riding it, the actual rider. I, I I don't know if it was a crude reference to the qualities. I, I no. <laughs> I I remember what I said now. Yeah. Um, see. Uh, I I meant to 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 su- suggest that those uh, operators, those pilots. Um, had more confidence uh, mm-hmm. than I would than I would have. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's all I can say. This is getting closer. So this is called the Kitty Hawk Flyer. This is uh, yeah, yeah. Um, this is a, uh, a, a. It's basically we've seen you know people talking about this for a while now. It's a. I don't know if it's a. It's probably like a hexcopter or an octcopter or something like that. I can't quite see yeah. how many blades it's got. Um, yeah. It, it, it does have some interesting design features. Uh, uh, it solves some of the problems from earlier designs in an in a elegant but simple way. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so and they've I'll, they've, they've so. Uh, protected the rider from the blades. And, yeah, you know, yeah, and said, yeah. That, that's, that's a start. That's, that, that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, um, the floats I'll, I'll operating on yeah, operating on floats kind of helps things out too because you're not really um, going to be over water, and which means you're less likely to run into things. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And but this, you know, so I don't know. Did I give you? I, I guess I gave you a link to the YouTube video. There's actually a full blown website for this. Let's see if we can find okay. it here. Uh, I, 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 okay. Flyer. Well, you know, somebody has to fly it. Yeah. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? It's here someplace. If I, if I count right, it's got. Is it six or eight motors? I've never been able to get a clear, clean enough look at the. Some shots I think it's eight. Some shots I think it's six. One, two, three, four. I see at least eight uh, on this picture. And uh, let's see now. So they're saying all it's, el- it, it's all it's, electric. <laughs> they're saying that it is. Um, I was Google founder Larry Page. Uh-huh. Um, has been see- according to Engadget story I'm looking at right now. Larry Page is secretly developing a flying car. All right, and this is the part that kills me is that they keep referring to this thing as a flying car, and uh, there's no car like aspect to it. It's barely it's a, a motorcycle. Fly- it's a f- it's a flying motorcycle. Uh, it's a yeah, it's a flying yeah. motorcycle. You know, um, but it's not even a motorcycle because it's not roadable in any way, shape, or form that I could see. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'd like to know how it's controlled. I mean, is it? Does it have uh, um, its own sensing, uh, pitch and, and attitude uh, sensing mechanisms? And are they employed all the time, or does, do you have to fly this thing? Oh, I gotta 100%. figure. It's way too stable to not be auto stabilized. It's that uh, you yeah, can't do yeah. that. Um, and uh, so that's good. I like that part. Um, and uh, so the 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 uh, the. Uh, the story that they tell here, um, the video shows uh, someone saying, uh, you know, it's like uh, one woman calling another woman saying, you know, come on over and we're going to hang out. And, and the woman calling says, OK, I'll be there in a couple minutes. And the first woman says, no, you'll never make it in a couple of minutes. You know, you're, how are you ever going to get here in two minutes? And she says, watch, you'll see. And so she gets and climbs on this thing and goes flying out across the, the water to her friend's house. Um, and, uh, she, by the way, as near as I can tell in the story, in the video, never arrives at her friend's house or if she does, <laughs> because she stops part way and hands off the, uh, the, uh, the flying, you know, craft to some friend who then, then goes off and has some more fun with it. And, uh, um, so they fly it over water. It's got floats underneath it. Um, it, I, I, I'm not convinced it's all that scary looking. I mean, it's got work. It probably needs some more work, but. But it looks like it could be fun, assuming some assumptions. <laughs> all right. But well, the part that gets me is that all the stories, it was this was a big viral thing over the last week or so. And right. uh, they keep referring to it as a flying car. Larry Page is secretly developing a flying car. All right. But there's no car aspect. I don't understand. Um, so I don't know. See, I'm still trying to find the actual website for this thing just to show. I'm curious about the okay. I'm looking at the FAQs. Yeah. And, uh, you know, where can I fly the vehicle? The vehicle may be flown in uncongested areas in the U.S. and is designed to be flown over fresh water. Can I operate oh. the flyer on land? No, the flyer is designed to be flown over fresh water. Oh. Now, I don't know of any regulatory issue 
that would uh, keep you from flying, you know, at least up to shore, like you could beat something now. But I'm guessing that being able to fly only 50 feet off the deck is, is probably below FAA minimums, even over uncongested area, unless you're taking off or landing. Would that be accurate? Well, it says it's it's an ultralight. Right. So but ultralights still have to abide by airspace rules. Sure. I'm not it says uncongested areas. It's safe, tested, and legal to operate in the United States in uncongested areas under the ultralight category of FAA regulations. Right. That's 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 a bold statement. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that means that the whole vehicle weighs no more than two hundred and fifty four pounds. If it's legal to part 103. So anyways, I don't know what to make of this. Anyways, it's, well, it, it is what it is. Yeah, uh, I mean... It, I, it, it's intriguing. It is uh, intriguing. I think it's intriguing. And uh, um, but and, and now I'm looking... It, but it's not a flying car. No, no, it's not even It's not even a flying vehicle. It's not even a, I mean, it's not even a flying road vehicle of any sort yet. Maybe it's a that's, flying bloody jet ski. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's not even a jet ski because it won't skim across. I mean, really, it's not. Sure, a, it will. Sure, it will. Once. Just going to want to keep it higher than the chop. While we're Which on the subject of, of of whatever we're on the subject of, um, Jeb, did, <laughs> did is there another circular runway story in the news? What's going on? Oh, Foxtrot bike. Um, what, what? Yeah, th this one's in Forbes magazine. Forbes magazine, so it must be true. This is reliable. It must be true, of course, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> that that well-known aviation publication, Forbes magazine. Yeah. What does it um, say in Forbes magazine? It says that um, uh, latest for um, have to have to conserve airport space. Dutch scientist has a radical idea. Uh, National Aerospace Laboratory in the Netherlands. Working on a project called the drum roll, please. Endless runway. <laughs> well, there we go. It's got a. It's got a meme now. It's got a. It's yeah. got a marketing concept. Exactly, a single circular runway that surrounds the terminal building, and yada yada yada. Banked, uh, uh, bank circle. Um, it's absurd. Uh, yeah. But this is—is is this this is basically the same story we saw a month ago? That it probably just is. latched onto it now. Exactly. They, they've got, might have some more details or uh, a different take, but it's it's still a circular runway, man. So okay, we know, yeah, right. <laughs> well, the con concept's not the first time an airport has terminal space. It's completely inaccessible from out front where you got to ride a train, a tram, or a tunnel to get to the buildings. Because I don't see any parking in this picture. Uh, uh, how the passengers get there? Underground. There's a little road leading in from about the 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock spot on the on mm -hmm. the graphic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. What do you mean? That's the way bigger reports are happening these days. It's like... Well, let's look. Let's see. You're going to start a takeoff run downwind, transit, well, okay. transition through a crosswind, yeah. it, it, and by some formula, which I, I admit is completely doable, uh, you plug in the takeoff 
run necessary to accelerate to V1, and the computer tells you where on that circle to start so that you're into the wind when you lift off. Uh, it's that transition through those different winds that I think is going to be interesting. And I don't know. Uh, <laughs> does it solve? Does it do anything to solve the wake turbulence problem that, that is so big a part of the runway acceptance rate calculation today? Oh God! <laughs> hey, listen, a real pilot isn't going to have any problem this, with this. This, you know? this, this is starting. To, this is starting to sound like an April Fool's edition of UCAP. <laughs> <laughs> and only twenty-four days late. Yeah. Hey, listen, you're the one that wants to put a drawbridge in the bridge at your house so that you could take off from a circuit. You could get a, a seaplane ultralight in your pond back there, Jeb, and take off in a circle and climb out, looping, climb thing, right? We all, we all want things we can't have. <laughs> Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled <laughs> Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm coming to you from high atop Lookout Point in uh, not-so-beautiful Nottingham, New Hampshire. It's cold and blustery and rainy and nasty today, but uh, um, it happens sometimes. And, uh, and I'm sitting here recovering from the flu. I don't know if you can, be, you can hear it in my voice, but I, I feel less than 100%. But, uh, but um, I've, I've gained a whole bunch to just in the last few minutes because I'm sitting here talking with my friends, and that's a good thing. So uh, making me feel better already. My two good friends here with me in my virtual sick bed is is I don't know where that came from. Um, is uh, let's see now from uh, somewhere near Sarasota, Florida, is Jeb Burnside. Hi, Jeb. How you doing? I'm well. I'm well. Finishing up some projects and getting getting cranking on some other projects. Um, I'm, you don't, let's not. You don't want to talk about the weather. No, I don't want to talk about the weather. It's uh, no, I don't want to talk about the weather. And also here in our virtual hangar is my other good friend from uh, the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas. That's uh, Dave Higdon. Hi, David. What's going on with you? Oh, pretty much status quo. Uh, recovered from sun and fun. Got caught up, and now I'm, I'm trying to work ahead because I got another little road trip coming up. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, enjoying a way wetter than needed spring here. There's a wild turkey wandering the woods right next to the house right now. And I'm thinking, too early to catch it for Thanksgiving, so we'll have to see if it's still around in November. But hey, Memorial Day's coming up. That's true. What does that mean? Could turn it into turkey dogs or turkey burgers. Yeah. Turkeys have really made a huge comeback. I saw somebody on Twitter just posted the other day that they saw wild turkeys wandering the streets of deep downtown Boston. And there's a, there, if anybody knows Boston, there's an area called Downtown Crossing, which is sort of the, really the heart of the, you know, shopping district downtown, you know, buildings. And, uh, and, and this Busy person place. was there at like 6 a.m. and saw two wild turkeys wandering around the streets of Boston at that hour, um, which, you know, I don't know. Which, which bar were they leaving? I, you know, could, well, yeah, I suppose that's possible, huh? Um, I mean, they were pretty far. Well, they were, they were about a block away from Boston common, which I guess is probably what the, what the factor was there, but, uh, <laughs> but they were, they were not near anything natural nature. Like they were just wandering the streets of Boston and, uh, thought that was interesting. Some badass turkeys just wandering the streets of Boston. Wandering the streets of Boston. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's where the turkey thing started, right? Thanksgiving came he's, from Plymouth down the road and, uh, 
He's there to get a little payback for Plymouth Rock. That's what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So what else is going on here? We uh, let's see now. It's been so long since we recorded. I mean, it's been in forever since we've recorded a regular episode. Uh, We've actually done a whole lot of episodes in April. When when all is said and done, we will have done, I believe, five numbered episodes in April. Um, and that's kind of significant. Um, and more than five if you count all the dailies that we did, because they usually count as one numbered episode. But we did about <clears throat> hotels worth of, of, uh, of dailies. So we did a lot of episodes. But we haven't done a regular episode like this since... Well, technically, we did a regular episode from your hangar that morning um, before Sun and Fun, but even that wasn't right. wasn't really normal. And the right. Skype episode, probably last time we did one was was back in March or something like that. So it's been a while, um, and uh, and uh, so, and then it's been a while since Sun and Fun. We're kind of catching our breath, but uh, um, but we did talk way back when um, on the subject of flight following. Um, and got some interesting feedback from uh, from listeners uh, in the forums. Um, and I'm, this is a relatively long. I'm trying to figure out how to summarize this. Uh, I'm looking at a, a posting in the forums from um, listener David Patton 111. Just listened to episode 424. Wanted to make a comment on flight following. Um, not long ago, finished my private pilot. Only remember, I remember only remember a few times my private pilot instructor mentioning flight following, but not really going into detail great detail about it and he talks a little bit about why he thinks that is um says he thinks that pilots not using it on cross country is uh, is a bit irresponsible and then he recommends he says uh, I'd, I'd like to highly recommend a book called radio mastery for vfr pilots by jeff canarish um which he says is a is a good uh, primer on uh, on uh, just radio procedure in general i guess and uh, that sounds like an interesting bit of advice are either of you familiar with this book I am not. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so thanks to uh, David Patton. Did, Jeb, you were going to write. Were you, were you? I think. Did you say you were going to write a, a aviation safety article about flight following? I, I, I both did say so and did write the article. Ah, okay. Is it? It's the it's the cover article in the May issue. That not co- not not coincidentally should be hitting the streets right about now. Ah, okay, cool. May issue. That's good. I'll have to look for May that. issue. Um, so that's. One bit of follow-up, and then there was another, yeah. another bit of follow-up. Thank you, thank you for letting me squeeze that plug in. Yeah, sure, no problem, no problem. Yeah. And then uh, listener Grant Heron, correction, Mick Heron, Grant McCarron from uh, Australia or New Zealand. No, that's terrible. I don't know which is which. Um, I, I know which is which. I, just, I know, and I know it's important to know which is which. And Grant, I apologize for not being certain. Um, Melbourne, your thing says. So you're, you're Australia. There we go. Grant McCarran. Um, in Twitter, he, he, he responded to something we talked about in, um, by way of Twitter. He says, he says, I've got friends flying A330s and 767s who will offset track to avoid the wake of A380s because it can bounce around even then. This is the mm-hmm. story of the, uh, of the BizJet, of the... Uh, was it his challenger six hundred four? Was the Saab three? Yeah. I forget which one. It was, it was a Challenger six hundred four. Challenger that got upset badly by uh, the wake turbulence of a of a A three eighty that was passing over its head, and uh, and Grant and and I was dubious that at the flight levels 
an aircraft like that can, and I, by the way, have been proven completely wrong. I've heard from so many different listeners on this subject that uh, it's, it's, um, and which is what you guys told me in the episode, but I wasn't buying it. Um, that, uh, yeah, there, there is a wake turbulence issue, even in these environments. And, uh, and apparently 380s being so big are, you know, especially prone to it. It's, uh, it's an interesting thing. Someone suggested though, that, um, this kind of thing is aggravated these days because aircraft are flying such precise tracks of the course, you know, because of the GPS and, and whatnot. And so um, a, an aircraft, two aircraft that are on the same airway at different altitudes can be tracking exactly above one and the other. Does that make sense? That's that's exactly right. You know, uh, whereas yeah, in the old on, days it was it, somewhat you know, prone <clears throat> to error—not error, but but you know, round off, so to speak, right? Because you know you were tracking it however you were tracking it. But when you've got GPS, you're probably tracking it within a few feet. You're within you know wingspan, and you think that can make a difference, Jim? Make a difference in in wake turbulence yeah. uh, generation? I think absolutely it can. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, uh, as Grant uh, is, is saying, uh, when uh, crews are in that situation, and that's you know where situational awareness comes in, but when crews are in that situation, they offset their track, uh, say half a mile, uh, and and every, no one cares. It, it works out for everybody, and off we go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jeb's absolutely right, particularly if you look at it from the perspective of some of the changes in airspace management that have come along in the last few years, uh, particularly in the oceanic segments, but everywhere else as well. Uh, For example, uh, RVSM, uh, Reduced Vertical Separation Minima, uh, used to be that aircraft crossing the North Atlantic and crossing the U.S., Above eighteen thousand feet, were or was it a eighteen thousand or twenty seven thousand? Were spaced two thousand feet apart, right? Going opposite directions. Uh, where down below eighteen, I think it was where we, you know, one thousand feet was suitable for air traffic and safety purposes for us down there. But up where radar was less accurate and over the ocean, where radar may not exist at all, uh, two thousand feet was the normal. With RVSM, the aircraft had to install more precise altimeters and better transponders and altitude encoding and navigation upgrade. And to get that separation down to 1,000 feet, which was a separation between that A380 and that Challenger 604, uh, to increase the capacity of the airspace without putting a lot more airplanes tail to nose. Right. They've also put put more airplanes tail to nose because in some airspace, particularly where they have ADS-B out, the uh, accuracy of the position reports lets them reduce the horizontal, the lateral separation. So they fly closer together in trail. Uh, and then in some oceanic segments, you've got parallel tracks that start off on one airway and then split off to four or five so that they can put more aircraft in those lanes to cross the ocean. Uh, So you're going to get a little drift from 1,000 to 2,000 to 3,000 going sideways with the wind from the wingtip vortices. So you can have that affect an airplane that's 1,000 feet below and maybe offset by a mile uh, in, in the right conditions. 
So it just makes sense we're going to have more of these encounters and more of these reports. Mm-hmm. It's it's a different thing, but it puts me in mind of a of a of a, of a similar kind of thing. So this goes back to the early days, I think of of I don't know of GPS or whatever, when pilots started to fly altitudes more accurately, and um, when they were flying VFR. Um, what's that called? The hemispheric rule? The thing about where, you know, if you're flying in certain 180 degrees of direction, you go plus 500 feet and et cetera, et cetera. Right. And there's a weird, there is the weird situation there where you can be basically nose to nose on the exact same um, altitude, you know, because of just where you are in the compass rows, so to speak. Does that make sense? And so, and it didn't, you're talking about the, the, even an odd spacing. Yeah. Right. And so it didn't, and and so I was talking to a pilot way back when. This is in the early days of me being a pilot, and so I was just kind of like listening to whatever anybody told me, and I, you know, I'd buy it. But uh, this pilot was saying that that when 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 the instrumentation was a little bit more um, casual, if you will, or or, or less accurate, um, the 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 percentage likelihood that you would end up nose to nose on exactly the same altitude was less but as we got better instrumentation the likelihood that you were accurately flying plus 500 feet um you know what i'm saying um was higher and so as a result he decided that he was going to arbitrarily kind of randomly add some error into this so that he never flew exactly 500 five fly at 520 or something like that or or 480 or something like that and uh, because he felt like, you know, adding some, some, uh, um, and likewise, don't follow the track, the center line exactly of, of an airway, all right, you know, kind of add some manually, consciously add some, some, some randomization in there so that you're not uh, tracking somebody else who's doing it exactly right. Speaking personally, I've never found it difficult not to follow the center line of the airway. Right. But do you think you're really? I mean, because the you know, the airway is what eight miles wide. Yeah. And, yeah. And um, so you're you're legal to not be on the center. And is it? Does it? You know. Well, but, but what this pilot was saying we're, was we're, he felt it was prudent to not be on the center line. To yeah, answer. I understand. I understand that logic. And um, yeah, okay. One thing to keep in mind that's. Kind of something of an old wives' tale, um, yeah. In in the sense that, well, it, it certainly applies to older systems. Let's put it that way, uh, where um, you've got you know the, the, a lot more error in the systems than you do today. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I was the error allowed two hundred plus or minus. Right, uh, three hundred is is what you're allowed IFR. Uh, at least below uh, flight level 180, um, above or below your altitude before uh, you're considered off your altitude. Mm-hmm. But you know how, how that translates in the, in this instance, I have no idea. Yeah. So, but. anyways, uh, it's 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 all Grant McCarran's. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know his friends are smart. Yeah, I, I go with Grant. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Hi, this is Jack. We here at Uncontrolled Airspace are very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. There are two simple ways that you can contribute to this podcast. 
you can make a one-time, non-repeating donation by using PayPal. It doesn't need to be very much. As little as $10 or $15 is a big, big help. Or you can make an automatically repeating per-episode pledge with Patreon. With the online service Patreon.com, you can pledge as little as $1 per episode, put limits on your per-month contribution, and change or cancel your pledge at any time. For more information about how you can support this podcast in one of these ways, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. That will take you to a page with details on both these support methods. Thanks. Off-field landing of the week. I've got uh, two, actually, here. Um, in no particular order. <laughs> I don't know. So this is uh, from a website called Workboat. Um, apparently has to do with uh, the coastal and inland waterways. It's, uh, and this, this story is Coast Guard Rescues 2 After Small Plane Crashes in Florida. The Coast Guard rescued two teens Wednesday night after their small plane crashed in shallow water near Yankeetown, Florida. Uh, let's see now. Basically, uh, I'm going to start summarizing this, but but uh, it sounds like they had engine problems of some sort and had to go down and and uh, ditch in the inland waterway, which uh, and and then turns out the inland waterway, or at least this particular part of the waterway, is not very deep. Um, was like you know because the airplane settled onto the bottom with the wings still above the surface. And uh, when the uh, rescue boats arrived, they found these two kids apparently sitting on top of the wing, um, waiting to be rescued. And so that's good. Um, and, th- and they landed successfully. It's an interesting picture, assuming this is a picture from this incident, showing the aircraft. I don't think there's a waterway. I don't think there's a ditch. I don't think there's a gutter in Florida where I'd want to sit in the water. <laughs> well, there's that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's that, but I mean, uh, been the, especially been the after dark, place. right? <laughs> yeah. What, you know what amazes me about this photograph? What's that? That it's upright. Yeah. That's what I wanted to comment on. Exactly, yeah. David. That's what I wanted to comment on too. All right, is that so? According to this picture, the airplane came down and landed in the water, and then settled down onto the bottom, and is now nicely sitting there, and. I thought that the truism was that a fixed gear aircraft was almost always going to nose over on on this kind of a landing, and so I don't know whether it was just lucky or whether they just you know did a a good job of of touching down. You know, I was reading the the uh, the story refers to the plane's occupants as being a 19 year old male from Longwood and an 18 year old female from Coral Cape Coral, it, and I don't see that it's telling us which one was the pilot. So, uh, yeah. don't, you know, whichever one was the pilot, good job. Um, and, uh, but yeah, yeah, it's, it, you can well, do it that way, but it's, it's, it's one in a million. It, this is very smooth water here too. It looks like it is. Anyway. I, well, yeah, I mean, it's cause it's, it's going to be fairly protected being an inland waterway, but, uh, right. but I, I would I didn't think it, it was not a swell thing that caused airplanes to nose over. It was simply the fact that the gear dragged and, and it slowed down in such a way that, you know, the yeah. center of gravity no, of the engine being higher than the wheels and all that kind of good yeah, stuff. Yeah. You know, I agree. I, there's a, a theory, a school of thought um, that says, you know, if you do it precisely correctly mm-hmm. the, and, and get the airplane, you know, fly it into the wind, uh, get it as slow as you can, as low as you can. Uh, at the lowest possible speed and try to let it just, you know, fall vertically as much as it can. Uh, yeah. A few inches finally into the water. Um, 
that you can come out, you can have an outcome like this. Mm-hmm. The airplane looks awfully good for just having been dished. I agree. Yeah. Is that the only so, there's no so, picture, right? Yeah, there's just the there's, there's two pictures I see. Oh. Uh, one is at night with a, a spotlight on. Oh, the, I, okay, I see it now. On yeah. the, from the front, and then the other one is from the <clears throat> the starboard rear. Um, the wings look straight. They don't. The wings don't look damaged. The tails, the, the vertical tails, fine. I can't tell anything about the horizontal stabilizer. Mm-hmm. The struts are still attached to the wings. Yeah. Um, I've seen lots worse outcomes. Yeah. Two feet of water. Yeah, it's, cool. up to, it's, it's up to the windows on that Skyhawk, yeah. so that's three and a half feet. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I'm reading this yeah. one paragraph. Resting in approximately two feet of water, I'd say that's three feet, yeah. three and a half maybe. Yeah. Did you look at the third I, photograph? Unless the landing gear got wiped out and it's resting on its belly. Oh. Oh, that's very possible, and that would that would somewhat explain why it didn't nose uh-huh. over. If the if the uh, <laughs> from here, you know, we don't know. That could be a, a Cessna one seventy two RG, and with uh, the gear with the gear stuck still tucked in. That's a very yeah. good point, Jeb. I hadn't even considered. And, and, and if so, uh, uh, again, brilliant job. Yeah, well, yeah we're, we're assuming we're assuming that's a fixed gear one seventy two. Yeah. It doesn't have to be. I would assume it's too early for there to be any sort of NTSB on it, right? When was this? April, just like last week, April twentieth. I don't want to. Last week, April twentieth. Let me let me look real quick. I'll yeah. see what I can find. Five, four or five days ago. Five, six days ago. So last Thursday. Um, yeah. If it, if that was an RG, that would that would be a whole different. Uh, that'd be a, a horse of a different color, so to speak, and. Uh, uh, and the uh, the young people apparently were fine. Um, not only did they you know survive the landing, but uh, although they went to get checked out, they they didn't require any medical attention. And uh, and there's they a, were really relaxed. They were really dressed for a day at the beach. Did you look at the other photo? Yeah, I have seen the other photo. There's a, they, so they took a photo in in you know with the with the rescue crew, crew apparently. And right, uh, like the Coast Guard crew. It it appears that they were returning from a day at the beach um, because they're they're dressed for the beach and. Uh, um, and smiling, it's just, you wouldn't think, I guess, they've been through a thing. You know? yeah. yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. Say so they had a good time at the beach. Yeah. Well, you're looking for that, Jip. I'm sorry. I did find it. Oh, uh, you did? It, it, it comes up as a Cessna 172. Just a 172. Okay. Yeah. yeah uh, I'm going to run the end number. Uh, but let's see what happens comes up as a Cessna 172 in Skyhawk. Okay. Is there any sort of a preliminary factual description there? Yeah, factual, factual. Aircraft force landed in the Gulf of Mexico, 16 miles from Crystal River Airport near Boat Ramp Pier, Crystal River, Florida. No injuries. Um, Does it refer to the pilot as being... I'm trying. I'm just kind of curious whether the doesn't. Pilot. That's all it says. It doesn't have any other information okay. right now. That's just, it's it's all it is is just kind of a uh, opening database entry. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Well, congratulations to them. Good job. Yeah. Um, yeah. Glad it all worked out. Sorry you hurt your airplane, but uh, you know. I'm, and, I'm intrigued by the publication that ran this story. Work boat. Yeah. Why? Yeah, they cover. 
coastal and inland waterway. Yeah. Oh, I didn't look at that. Well, there you go. You should add it to your RSS feed so that you can uh, work boat. What's an RSS feed? Yeah, it's a maritime. It's for maritime. reading blogs, post postings, and, and news stories. What's an RSS feed? Jeez. Very interesting. The other way, uh, field landing of the week here is uh, a little bit more dramatic, um, and I'm not finding the actual video now. But uh, So this is apparently in Texas. Um, a small plane makes emergency landing beside Highway 121. I can't open, I can't open that. Let me see. Um, and someplace, let's see if I can, I promise I'm in the wrong browser. Let's see if we can. Uh, huh. Oh, it came out of Arrow Country. That's a residential the third part. Okay, here yeah, we I, finally, I finally got an open right click and an incognito window. Right. So um, it uh, landed on the highway, um, and uh, and the the little video snippet that we've got here, which is embedded in Twitter, um, shows it zigging, literally doing dramatic S turns. I don't know whether these were commanded S turns or uncommanded S turns, but uh, on the highway amongst the traffic. In my mind, what they're trying to do is is slow down so that they don't overtake a car that's ahead of them or something like that. Uh, I think that's probably true. And, uh, but uh, oh, I can actually get audio too. I didn't realize it was audio. But this guy's like doing some pretty dramatic. Like he's turning over forty five degrees each way um, to, uh, and then as the video clip ends, it seems like he's finally got it under control and has stopped. Um, and there's video elsewhere, there's pictures elsewhere on the internet of the uh, pilot uh, had taxied off onto the grass or, um, and, uh, you know, so. Um, that was uh, one, that. Well, real, real quick, yeah. great paragraph in here, it was a very simple sentence. The pilot declined to comment. Uh, smart pilot. Yes, very smart pilot. Not usually smart. Smart pilot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good, good job. Yeah, so it says that uh, the plane's engine malfunctioned after it took off from Arrow County Airport, a small facility near McKinney. Again, I believe this is in Texas. Um, and yeah. uh, it's from the Dallas News is the website we're looking at here. And uh, so only person on board walked away unhurt, guided the plane onto the service road. Scene was cleared about an hour later. The pilot declined to comment. So, okay, I have a question. Yeah, I'm looking. Well, okay, never mind. I, 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 the, a lot of the pictures I'm looking at, the cowling is off. And the, the first one that I'm looking at, the cowling is off, and you don't see the pieces of the cowling anywhere around. Okay, like where's the rest of the cowling? Mm-hmm. So then you scroll down and you see more pictures where the cowling is located. I, I was wondering if the cowling came off in flight and that's why he oh. decided it was, he was done flying for the day. Oh, that, yeah. Okay. That would, that would definitely be a factor. Um, yeah. So, but interesting. Yeah. Sounds like a pretty straightforward thing. The story here talks about, uh, you know, the landing a truck stop to help block traffic as the drivers reached, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it, it's, you know, all pretty good result if you ask me. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, but the the ca- the video captured of the uh, of the pilot doing these dramatic S turns was was kind of notable, and yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. That uh, sometimes you do S turns to to slow down on the runway as well. Sort sometimes of. you do S turns because that's all you can do. Yeah, that's right. It's like <laughs> right. Um, so 
anyways. What is this B-25 takeoff thing? Oh, well, this is just great stuff, man. This is just... Is this... Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is the takeoff scene. Yeah, this is... So, yeah, this is the next story. Um, I hope... It, I want to say David put this on here. Yeah, right. David did. And uh, the so the last week or so was what? Was the uh, was the anniversary of, uh, of the uh, um, Doolittle Raid, um, which was a key motor, notable moment of uh, World War II in, in our... Uh, our uh, our uh, uh, battle against uh, Japan and and, uh, and where Doolittle uh, led. Well, David, you tell the story. What was the, what happened with the Doolittle raid? Well, if you haven't heard this before, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So don't give us the whole story. All right, they 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 wanted to attack Japan, um, but we had no land bases that were close enough for a B twenty five to fly all the way there. So they loaded Jimmy, eighteen B twenty five. Doolittle was this legendary race pilot. And records holder, and he's a lieutenant colonel in the Army Air Corps at this point. And he and a Navy buddy come up with this cockamamie idea of launching B-25 medium bombers off the deck of an aircraft carrier. Mm-hmm. Uh, fly to Japan, bomb it. Uh, I think there were 16 planes that took off. Well, this refers to 18, but something like that. Um, well, there's 18 in this movie scene. This isn't from, uh, this is from Catch-22. Which is a different story. Yeah, this isn't about the Doolittle Raid, but the airplanes are the same. Okay, well, maybe I'm thinking of a different, oh yeah, see, I've, well, all right then, I'm sorry. The video that I'm thinking of is the actual video of them taking off, which is just re- a remarkable piece of video. So they take right, these... and this is, this there, is 18... There, yeah, there is, there is black and white video uh, of, or at least stills from that, um, yeah. um, or at least the practice. There's something like yeah. that out there. Yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, it's the actual yeah. actual takeoff. And so... Well, let's, let's, let's look. Yeah, you go looking. And so what happened was, and like David says, I think most pilots know this story, but... Uh, they uh, were, were were steaming to get close enough to Japan so that they could launch from the aircraft carrier and go and bomb um, Japan, uh, the mainland of Japan, and uh, and the whole thing was pretty dicey to begin with, as David alluded to, because the whole idea of launching a B twenty five off of an aircraft carrier it's like going to well, take the, some... the original plan. They would have taken off three hundred miles closer to right. Japan. They did have to take and off been able to land in, yep. in friendly territory in China. Right. Taking off early and carrying extra fuel to uh, help make the uh, airplane stay in the air longer, they had to bail out or uh, ditch it, uh, along the coast of China. Yeah. Uh, years later, the B-25 got famous again in the book and the movie Catch-22. And this clip is one used in the movie. They spent weeks filming these guys they flew 1700 hours i think it said doing takeoffs and landings and flying in formation to get the footage for the movie of b-25s but this scene is of 18 of them taking off from what's supposedly an air base in italy uh i don't remember where they shot it but it's quite a collection of airplanes uh taken off uh, and shot over and over and over again. I can imagine some of those guys actually getting sick of flying once in a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, that, I didn't I didn't realize that's the video you were talking about. It sounds very cool. I want to check that video out. The one that I was referring to was the uh, uh, was the historic footage, and I think Jeb, is that what you've sent us here? Did you find I, that? That's exactly what I just sent you. Um, and it's just remarkable to see these B-25s just lumbering off of the deck of the yeah. aircraft carrier. I mean, just barely getting enough airspeed um, in order to uh, fly. And uh, and then they, you know, especially the first couple, you know, it's like as you get back yeah. further in the pack, yeah. you had a little bit more yeah. deck length to uh, to get some get get rolling. But uh, it's just remarkable to watch the Doolittle Raiders taking off from that uh, from that aircraft carrier, David. I'm watching the uh, Catch 22 footage right now, and that's kind of interesting too. Boy, that's a lot of. Um, that's that's yeah, that's the last time you'll ever see that. Too. Yeah, yeah. Although, well, you won't see that many. That's a wow. That's a lot of B-25s. That's great. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Um, they are you, gathering. You might, these days you might see it in you might see it in CGI, but you won't see the real thing right. ever again. Um, although they gathered a whole bunch of them at, uh, I think it was Wright Patterson just this past uh, week or so, um, because there's a uh, footage it'd be from. Cool. It'd be really cool to see them recreate that. That would be great. Yeah, the well, they sort of did did something, and I think they're coming to Oshkosh this summer. Um, right. I remember way back when, maybe on the twenty or the fiftieth or whatever, some other big um, um, multiple anniversary of uh, the Doolittle Raid, and uh, what they did was they tried to they marked off. Um, portion of runway 1836 there at Oshkosh and tried uh -huh. to show how much length they had and uh, it, it, you can't really simulate it because you also have a lot of headwind and and whatnot but uh, um, but I, I think there's a whole bunch of B, did I read a story that there's a whole bunch of b25s coming to Oshkosh to do a, do a do little uh, celebration is it the 75th anniversary maybe now well let's let's see what's going to happen um and and i saw i think i saw it on fred's uh, air rail images youtube channel um the uh, a gathering of b25s um at uh, i think it was wright patterson and uh and just you know um, panchito which we just saw it at uh, at uh, sun and fun um and another one which was at sun and fun as well as uh, must have been another half dozen b25s all arrived at uh at Wright Patterson, I believe it was too. Uh, here's a press or here's a news story from uh, EAA, mm -hmm. dated dated April 17, uh, commemoration of Doolittle Raid's 75th anniversary at Air Venture 2017. There we go. There we go. Does it talk at all about what the nature of the celebration will be? Well, I'm going to let you decide that. Uh oh, you're going to send it to me. All right. I'm going to send you a link. Yeah, the video of the takeoff off the Hornet is yeah spooky, dramatic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they had that carrier going so fast that after about four airplanes got off the ground, or got off the deck, uh, and weren't really airborne until they went off the end of the flight deck, the rest of them were off the off the deck before they get to the end of the runway. Yeah, they, they talk the about the short field deck. takeoff procedures. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. They they did some really good stuff there. Um, oh, they, they must have they must have had that carrier doing forty knots. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Among the highlights of the 70, I'm reading from the uh, EAA release now. Among the highlights of the 75th anniversary commemoration will be an evening program on July 26th with 101 year old Dick Cole. 
the only wow. remaining member of the 80 original Doolittle Do Raiders, uh, as well as Jimmy Doolittle's grandchildren, Jimmy Doolittle III and Jonah Doolittle Hops. So uh, huh. it's going to be a thing. That'll be nice. I, I don't know how many B-25s we're going to get there, but uh, um, it, it'll be very, very cool. I, I, I mean, we've talked about that at, at Sun and Fun. I like B-25s. Yeah. And the classic short field technique. Yeah, they really do. There'll, there'll, there'll be an arrival of 16, according to this, this story, on Tuesday mm-hmm. during the show. Uh, then 16 uh, in the air show uh, same day. That'll be cool. And reenacting the Doolittle Raid itself to start the night air show on Wednesday. There you go. That'll be a good thing to look for. That'll be Put cool. Put that on your calendar for sure. Yeah. 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 And for anyone who's curious, the idea was to show Japan that they weren't out of reach, that they weren't immune to attack. Mm-hmm. And that caused them to pull back a lot of forces from out in the Pacific, which was uh, a big break for the American forces, trying to, you know, starting to work through retaking islands to get closer and closer to Japan to have air bases. Uh, without that raid and without the success of uh, the Battle of Midway, uh, which came along not long after the Doolittle raid, uh, those two things probably made it possible for us to actually win in the Pacific when it, it might have been a long, bloody fight to a draw mm-hmm. without those two mm-hmm. successes. Yeah. yeah, there's there's no telling where the where, where those uh, early skirmishes could have led. What else here? Um, boy, the seven forty seven is really reaching the end of its end of its life. It's kind of sad. It's uh, I mean it'll, they'll fly forever, but in terms of airline travel and things like that. So what's this story? The one of the last airworthy seven forty seven two hundreds is uh, finally being retired from from. Uh, service uh shows a picture yes. this is from usa today uh kalita air yeah. which I, i've seen this reference to is kalita air an airline or is that some sort of charter service or it's a freight cargo it's cargo freight okay. freight operation yeah big. they got they, they got their start flying air uh, auto parts in and out of uh, detroit oh really oh yeah. really yeah yeah he was a he was a drag racer also. I didn't know that. I, yeah. I always assumed Kalita. It sounds Asian. I, I figured it was. No, no, that's the guy's name. Grew up in grew up in Michigan. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Well, it's uh, talking about one of their last uh, flying twenty four dash two hundreds, and uh, um, is getting ready to be retired. I remember when the when the seven forty seven first came out. And it went on, a, and they, they sent on with those a handful of them on a PR tour around the country. Right. And uh, one of them um, was on the ramp at Logan Airport in Boston. And I grew up in Greater Boston, um, just north of town. And uh, my friend's dad took us to Logan Airport, and we were able to actually go out and stand. Back in those days, you could actually go and stand on the uh, outside, uh, exactly. You know, observation deck, and look down on on a seven forty seven 
which at the time seemed like, I remember it was just a huge airplane. I remember thinking, wow, you know, because you could look around and compare it to other aircraft on the ramp, and it was just monstrous. Um, that, that original 747 looks a little bit puny these days, if you, when you, when you ever see That would have been a 100. Yeah. And, uh, um, but it's interesting though for, uh, you know, that, that 747, I've talked about this on the podcast. I've always, it, 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 it's always seemed to me that there are a handful of designs throughout the history of aviation that were just clicked, that just were right. done well. And uh, designs like the, like the DC three and the and the uh, the C one thirty, the uh, you know C one thirty, and things like that. And yeah. and I think the seven forty seven is one of those designs that was just it clicked. They got it right from very early on. And well, what other designs do you think meet that criteria? Well, I'd say seven oh seven probably does. Um, uh-huh. Like I said, the DC three. Um, these are the ones that really stand out in my mind. Um, the C-130 has been around forever, you know. I mean, yeah. It, it just yeah. Yeah. Constellation. Yeah. Constellation, that's true. That's for sure. Yep. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, well, I think those are all great candidates. And, and I would add, I'd add the 727. I'd add, I'd add um, um, the, the uh, Piper Cub and the uh, Bonanza. Yes. And the 172. And the 172. Um, and and I'm sure you know our readers are like Mooney Mooney or 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 or, uh, or or even Comanches. Yep, yeah, a few of them, no doubt. So, yeah. reaching the end of an era with the seven fours. Well, with 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 the older the uh, call them steam uh, powered uh, um, two hundred. Yeah, the, the Dash 200s, absolutely. The 747 program is still out there. Um, they, they they keep upgrading it and keep coming out with new models. I don't know. You know, as long as there's a market for A380s, there'll be a market for 747s. Um, see, I, see, you think so? Is the 74 big enough these days? That's that's the weird part. It just doesn't seem like even the stretched increase. Well, you know, if you look at the, the Airbus 3A380 program, it's not doing all that well. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. <laughs> but the so. but you've got the other big ones. You know, you've got the, the 777 and the 787, and, and those are big airplanes. And, uh, um, mm-hmm. you know. I, I, I just, I saw a 787 the other day in the wild. That was pretty cool. Oh, really? I don't know if I've seen one in the wild. I've seen them at yeah. uh, AirVenture and whatnot, but... Uh, yeah, that must have been actually pretty cool. Um, but I don't know whether the 787 will turn out to be one of those designs. It might be. Um, I, I put money on the 380 not being one of those designs that will that will last. Um, yeah. But then I feel that way about most every Airbus. <laughs> I'm not a big Airbus fan. I don't know. Uh, the 320, I, I guess, is, you know. The 320 is kind of iconic. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's as iconic as the, the almost as iconic as a 737. Yeah. Uh, oh, 737. I mean, there's one. I know I mean, you got one of you must have said that. I, that, cause that's, yeah. that's definitely a design that's, that's, uh, that clicked. And got yeah. it right. Dave, what are we missing? Uh, man, nothing jumps out. I think you guys have Although 737 is interesting. 737 is really going through. You talk about getting stretched and expanded and grown and, and you know, inflated. Um, well, to, to me, the most iconic 737 was the 100. 
Right. Yeah. Right. right. You know, I mean, it's like is a seven original Fat Albert. Right. right. You, you talk about the seven. The seven thirty seven has gone through. Now what's the seven thirty seven Max? Is this new monster? Uh, seven three. That's uh, apparently uh-huh. a pretty nice airplane, but uh, it seems, you know, I, I, I'm not sure what, what makes it still a seven three. What what are the distinctive features that mean it's still a seven three? Still the same barrel diameter for the main fuselage. Is it still a twin? The same wing, uh, although its internal structure has been changed to carry the extra weight of the larger models. Uh, same wing and the same landing gear because the little suckers sit so close to the ground they had to squish the bottom of the cowl on the high bypass engines mm-hmm. when they went to those on the 300. Uh, still a two-man flight deck. Uh, that was a big deal. Uh, real money saver. Mm-hmm. Southwest is profitable because they've yeah. never operated anything but 737s. Right. I think that's part of the genius of Southwest. Uh, yeah. yeah. One, one of the smart things that they did, yeah. Yeah. Um, but there you go. Yeah. Yeah. We are really, starting to reach the end of our allotted time here. Um, I, I noticed that Jeb put this on the on the list, but it's more of a David story. David, the, did yeah, the chipper yeah. actually fly? The chipper? Yeah. Well, according to this video... Yeah, it's actually, or did it fly or did it just kind of do lift off and touchdown kind of thing? It, it lift off and touchdown kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, it, it was a crow hop. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the B-Light Chipper, the uh, little airplane from uh, from, from B-Light um, that we've been watching its progress over the past Their six, first two-seater. Eight months, right. It is, continues to make progress and uh, um, sounds like he's take, writing orders. I don't know, I haven't heard official numbers, but uh, you know. Um, it, it had crowds around well, it at, at uh, Sun and Fun, so just about got out of ground effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's just a test, you know, thing. It's not like it can't get out of ground effect. It's just that's what, <laughs> that's what you do early on. And uh, so, anyways, so congratulations to uh, Be Light for uh, continuing to make progress on this interesting new design. Uh, anyways, yeah, I hope he uh, hope he sells a daylight seven. Yeah. Yeah, no, no kidding. It looks cute. It looks like uh, yeah, and it's remarkably uh, affordable. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, it's like what with an engine for I want to say fifty, sixty thousand dollars. Is that right? Not even, not even the airframe kit is like nine ninety nine. Yeah, and yeah. and then the airplane, and then the engine was like another nine ninety nine. But yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, but yeah, it's remarkably affordable and uh, looks like a cool little airplane. Looks like a fun little airplane. Anyways, okay. Shout outs. You got any shout outs here? I've got one. Uh, hang on a second. Okay. Yeah, real, real, real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, just wanted to give a shout out to um, the folks at uh, the Millionaire FBO Orlando uh, at the Sanford uh, Airport, not uh, Executive or uh, or International. Um, I was in I was in that area uh, last week uh, with the airplane uh, um, for a couple of hours. Uh, great hospitality, uh, mm-hmm. 
a lot of help, and I'd just like to give them and, and, and Jeannie, one of the customer service reps, uh, a great big shout-out. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Very, yeah, very much appreciate the help. Very much appreciate the hospitality. Very good. Um, we uh, Let's see now. David, other shout-outs? Yeah. Just a shout-out to our friends and hosts uh, from uh, Lakeland, Florida, uh, who had an extremely successful uh, 2017 fly-in, their 43rd, and they just got their uh, hard numbers out in a release in the last couple of days. And uh, put the link in there and let folks take a look at it. Some interesting numbers. Uh, More than 90,000 bottles of water distributed and 19,000 sandwiches for the volunteers, feeding and watering the volunteers. I I I ate about 1,000 of those sandwiches. uh, Of which there were about 3,000 volunteers. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had uh, 38 student tours. Uh, 500 students showed up for the Blue Angels Symposium. Uh, 10,000 people visited the Piedmont Aerospace Experience, which is the only working 727 classroom on a high school campus anywhere. Mm -hmm. And the students actually get to fire up the cockpit and start the engines from this thing. That was the Uh, Piedmont connection. I, you know, I knew, I saw that Piedmont was an exhibitor and they were, you know, doing, doing some, and I, and I also know about the airplane that's up there, that, that the training, you know, the classroom airplane, I hadn't made the connection that that was Piedmont. Okay. That explains that. And they had some nice stats for sun and fun radio. They did. Total, yeah. total connections, 21,882 total unique listeners. And I'm sure this is from the streaming that uh, on liveatc.net that they're talking about here. 8,431, mm-hmm. uh, up significantly from last year. 44 hours of live broadcast over six days. 120 live interviews and 120 field interviews. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Their Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts reached more than 2.5 million. Had 10 million impressions. Uh, 500,000 followers on Facebook. 80,000, surpassed 80,000 followers. I don't get that. Oh, engagement rate. Over 500,000 on Facebook, surpassed 80,000 Facebook followers. Uh, And then they set attendance record and vendors records. And I think they even set a porta potty record. So, (laughs) well, uh, um, congrats to them. Yeah, big time. Yeah, big it was time. it was quite a year. It was a very successful year, and uh, a good time was had by all. At least I I had a good time. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, hopefully that'll also you know blow a, a blow some tailwinds for uh, other shows around the country and around the world. Uh, uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, uh, it's certainly a, a fun, unique year at Sun and Fun. Weather cooperated for the most part, uh, especially north of there. And uh, as you say, a good time was had by all. Yep. yep, it was a good year. Any other shout-outs, or is it fork time? One real quick one. Yeah. Quick shout-out to our friends at the uh, DeLand Sport Aviation Showcase. They just announced that exhibitor registrations open and online uh, for folks that are planning on going down there and participating. And 
what started down, they had a really good kickoff show last year. We hope they do as, as well or better this year. Uh, hats off to Jana Phillip and the uh, Deland area airport uh, officials for uh, uh, making that happen. Yeah. And that's it for me. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it. It's This is not the highest energy episode I think we've ever done. I don't know. It's, uh, maybe it sounds better than, it's, uh, than it sounds in my head, but uh, that's fine. And it's always fun to chat with you guys, and I really appreciate it. Um, Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. David, what have you been working on? Well, I just looked that up a little while ago and happened to have a piece coming out in uh, avionics news in the May issue that takes a look at uh, radar, airborne radar, data link radar. You're talking about weather radar. That kind of radar, not the character from MASH. Uh, It's called it Radar Love. I don't know if the title survived, but it uh, talks about airborne Doppler weather radar and how it stacks up against other tools available for tactical weather avoidance. Mm-hmm. Cool. Outstanding. I can just hear you all salivating now. No, <laughs> no, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Uh, anything else, or where can people find you about find out about you and this stuff on the internet? Easy. Well, the uh, avionics news article will be on their website at uh, aea.net. Uh, you can also find my weekly business aviation blog at avbuyer.com. Uh, and who knows I may turn back up on safety sometime mm-hmm. sounds good and Jeb Burnside always great talking with you too Jeb's a freelance aviation writer and editor editor, serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine what have you been working on? Um, well I just uh, a couple of weeks ago put to bed the, uh, the May issue of Aviation Safety um, since then I've been uh, working on some pieces for AEA uh, just as David's uh, had some uh, some work in the uh, May issue, I, I have some work in the June issue. So mm-hmm. um, the, the the log keeps rolling, as they say. Um, gearing up for the June issue and uh, having some fun with that, um, and otherwise just trying to keep my head above water. Yeah, I know the feeling. I know yeah. the feeling. Yeah. And where can people find you on the internet? Um, AviationSafetyMagazine.com, uh, AEA.net, um, GeneralAviationNews.com, um, sometimes at AvWeb, uh, and there's this there's this podcast I do with a couple of buddies of mine. Uh, I think it's uh, UncontrolledAirspace.com, something like that. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. Uh, let's see now. I've been working on... Uh, so I, I did a whole bunch of videos when I was at uh, Sun and Fun, and that was pretty cool. Um, things have quieted down a little bit in that front since then, but I have uh, finally... Uh, the footage that I shot while at Sun and Fun is being put together into a couple more Sun and Fun videos. Uh, one, of I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing how it comes out because I love the uh, Saturday morning balloon launch. And so oh, cool. I went out uh, first thing in the morning and, and caught a lot of footage of, uh, of people in the literally O-Dark 30 uh, lining up for the balloon launch and getting ready to go and setting up their balloons and then the, and then the, the, the beauty of the launch itself. And so that'll all be in a, in a video that'll be in my uh, YouTube feed at some point, and that's uh, coming along one of these days soon. And then I'm starting to work on some, uh, some aviation video stuff um, back here in, uh, in my, my uh, regular world. Uh, so trying to do some stuff about... Uh, 
general aviation around New England. So we'll see what what comes of that. But uh, that's uh, some cool. of the things that I've been working on. Uh, you, you could you, uh, did, learn. What's did, that? Did, did you buy that airplane yet? Uh, not yet. Not yet. We're, we're, it's well, it's a story for another day. Jack. Uh, you can find out more about me and uh, my work at YouTube. It's youtube.com slash Jack Hodgson. On Twitter, uh, it is uh, twitter.com slash Jack Hodgson. Sign up for my email newsletter and learn more about than you ever want about me than you ever really wanted to know at jackhodgson.com. Big thanks to Jeff Ward for his all his help with the uh, podcast and in the show notes and in the forums. Uh, thanks to Mike Morgan, to Royce Earl, Jim Goldman, and to the many other listeners who created the UCAP disclaimer clips. Um, I've already received the first draft of the uh, of the uh, Air Venture promo audio things that Mike Morgan is doing for us. He's already been up to uh, no good or real good. Dude, you dude, you want to zap those along to your your compadres? There we go. Yeah, sure. Um, please support UCAP by making a repeating per episode donation of any size via the online service Patreon. Uh, you can get all the details about this at patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace. And while you're at it, go into iTunes and give us a review and click some, uh, um, some stars and, and arrows and up buttons. Uh, it really, really does help to get the word out. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash class G airspace. That's all one word class, the letter G and airspace. You never know what might turn up there. You can also listen to UCAP in the free section of the Sporties Pilot Shop mobile app Takeoff, along with other podcasts and special Sporties content. Get your UCAP hats, shirts, and other cool gear at the UCAP Swag Shop at uncontrolledairspace.com slash store. And don't forget, you can check out the rest of the UCAP website, 10 years worth of, um, correction, almost 11 years now, worth of UCAP show notes and episode downloads. Uh, And last but not least, chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners in the Uncontrolled Airspace forums. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, was there something you wanted to tell us? Key to old age is aviation. Because, you know, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. We'll be back next time with more energy. (laughs) Maybe, hopefully. Can't be less. We'll see. (laughs) 